Welcome to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with innovators who are committed to measuring what matters in Christ-centered relief, development, and advocacy. My name is Rodney Green, Senior Manager of Monitoring and Evaluation at Compassion International and one of the hosts of this podcast. Today, I share with you a recent conversation I had with Alan Kakinda, a friend and colleague and Senior Manager of Innovation, Monitoring and Evaluation at Compassion International, and a subcommittee member of the Accord Research Alliance. Alan has extensive experience in monitoring and evaluation around the world and has a hunger for learning and contributing to the development of others. He is also the co-founder of Eagleite Associates and the host of the Do More, Be More podcast, where the mission is to share tips and tricks on how individuals and organizations can increase their productivity and achieve exceptional results in their work. We're also excited to announce that Alan will be joining the Accord Research Alliance as a regular host of this podcast, so you will be hearing more from him in the coming months. Today, Alan and I discussed the importance of integrating different types of monitoring and evaluation evidence into decisions and emphasizing the importance of qualitative evidence. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Alan, and welcome to the ARA podcast. Hi, Rodney. It's good to be here. Thanks for asking me. Before we jump in for the, to the topic for today, can you give us a brief introduction of yourself? Okay, thank you. Um, my, so my name is Alan Kakinda. As Rodney has introduced, um, I serve as the Senior Manager of Innovation, Monitoring and Evaluation at Compassion International. And uh, maybe to explain what that does. So at Compassion, we have a uh, an innovation team that keeps testing out different ideas. And so I'm on the M&D side of that, uh, really testing those ideas or checking if those ideas are having the impact they are meant to have before we roll them out into our usual programming. I am best out here in Uganda. And um, yeah, I've been working in the M&D field uh, for several organizations for the past 10 years. And um, yeah, I always love being in m and &E. Why? Because of the critical role it plays in um, supporting decisions at all levels within the organization. And so, yeah, I'm excited to be here and uh, to be hosted on the podcast. Thanks, Alan. It's been great working with you over the years and excited to have this conversation. So before we really jump into the topic, I think it would be helpful for if you could break down for us some of the basics. You know, what is the difference between data and evidence or different types of evidence? Um, how would you break that down for us? Okay. I, I think for me, I look at data as raw information with no judgments. So any information, I think numbers or even um, qual. Um, quotes from people and stuff like that. So, so for me, that is data without any judgments, no conclusions have been drawn yet, uh, no meaning is drawn out of it. So that is data. And then when we go ahead, um, and that's typically what we collect from the field when we do data collection. Um, and data collection, I do not necessarily mean sending out data collectors in the field, but also I think as organizations, we collect, we collect a lot of information through our usual processes. It could be 
um, activities that are going on. It could be um, uh, related to your outcomes. Again, di at different levels, that is data. Then evidence, I think when we go ahead to process um, the data um, to extract meaning out of it, um, when we use it to prove a specific or disprove a specific argument or hypothesis, then it becomes evidence. So data, in, in short, data is the basis for evidence. And um, there's definitely an overlap between these two concepts. Now, uh, going back to the second part of your question, uh, different types of evidence. Um, and again, understanding these in a bit of more detail. So there are certainly several types of evidence that we have available to support our decisions in terms of proving whether a hypothesis is true or not. Um, so and I'm sure a lot of people who may be listening to the call uh, may be familiar with some of the ev uh, types of evidence I'm going to be sharing. But I think before I share the types, I wanted to share a critical component. So there are specific things that um, help you determine what type of evidence you're going to collect. And so uh, for me, the most important thing is the type of research question you're asking or the type of question you have um, as you are thinking about the evidence you want to collect. So there, and there, uh, there are several research, there, there is a wide range of questions we can tackle with research, but I think I'll talk about three uh, big questions. So they are descriptive questions. Um, for example, you want to describe, you want to understand the community where you're going to implement a program. So what are their needs? What are their problems that they're currently facing on the ground? And then what are the opportunities you want, uh, you see for your program as, as you're designing it? And again, this descriptive information uh, or data um, and the questions are, are helping you understand the community. Again, because it's, I think it's very important for you to understand the community before you have any interventions in there. And so that's, that's one type of questions that we broadly think about as we are thinking about evidence. And then there are, of course, process questions. How smoothly is the program running? How well is it being implemented? And um, again, these are helping you. You know, we, we talk about M&E being useful for learning and accountability. And one of the reasons I like M&E is that you can, um, asking yourself process questions can help you know whether you're actually on track as you're implementing the program or not. And so you don't need to wait for the end of the program to evaluate it at the end of the program to know whether it's working or not. Because again, um, when you're looking at outcomes, um, if the activities that are supposed to achieve the, those outcomes are not being done or are not being done excellently, then chances are high you will not achieve the impact you intend to achieve. So that's where process questions become critical and important. And then, of course, impact questions. Is the program changing lives? Does it work? Is it working or is it not working? So I think having in mind these three types of questions help you, helps you decide what type of evidence 
um, you want to generate. And I think for M&D practitioners out there, um, many people, many times people are not going to be direct um, or they're not going to be clear on what type of questions they, are, they want to ask. But you being able to listen in well as you're consulting with them at the beginning of an evaluation process, you'll be able to gauge which type of question they are asking and categorize it. And then you can determine the type of evidence you're going to generate. So again, for the very first um, type of question which we talked about, uh, descriptive questions, um, you're going to look at maybe doing a needs assessment, or sometimes people call them, sometimes people do baseline evaluations uh, that are in forms of needs assessment. One of the programs I'm going to share with you where we did both quali qualitative and quantitative information was in that form, a needs assessment, really understanding the needs of the community, what are the problems in the community and what are the opportunities for us as we are thinking about designing a program for them. And then, then for process questions, you want to do a process evaluation or process evaluations. Um, and a lot of M&D activity or monitoring activities are helping you do this um, beyond, sometimes people design specific evaluations to answer these type of questions. But a lot of the M&D processes that we do or monitoring processes that we do are to help us answer these types of questions. And then finally, or you then of course, literature review as well, which can help you answer all, the, I think sort of all the three questions um, can be answered through literature review because some people may have done um, evidence, um, done some work, uh, some evaluations in all these areas and that can help you get that. And then finally, of course, impact evaluations that can be both um, through um, experimental research or non-experimental research. And um, yeah, there are lots of ways people do these. Um, and so I think a lot of people on the call are already familiar with their methodologies, people do this. But again, I think the key thing in understanding this is that this is helping you answer the question, did it work? Is it working or is it not working? And then you are able to adjust your course of action to be able to um, to 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 um, adjust your program to answer the needs of the community. Um, so beyond beyond the research question, I think the other factors that may determine your choice of evidence: um, resource availability. So human resources. Do you have the human resources to be able to execute the type of uh, research that you need to do, and also financial resources. Some of these evaluations are, are more expensive than others. So factoring that in, I think is critically important. And then finally, the timing, um, the time at which the evaluation is being requested can also help you determine um, what sort of um, evidence you're going to have to look into, yeah. Thanks so much, Alan. I, I really find the framework that you've provided us very helpful, that it really starts with the question you're asking, the types of questions you're asking. I found the descriptive question, process questions, and impact questions a really helpful way to 
to kind of think through what you're actually asking for. And then I also appreciate the, the, how, what flows from that are different types of evidence to help answer those questions and the factors that can influence that, like such like resource constraints. And for me too, like another metaphor that I find helpful is like, when it comes to different types of evidence that might try to answer a question, it's kind of like a puzzle in that, you know, quantitative information might be one piece. And then when you add a different piece, like qualitative information, or maybe some process related monitoring information, you add a few of those extra pieces and the picture starts to become a little bit bigger, a little bit different, it tells you more of a story. So I, I find that really a helpful framework. Uh, and so the kind of next question I have for you is really to kind of provide some color for that framework and some examples, some projects you've worked on that really demonstrate how you've gone through this process, how you've integrated different types of evidence in the monitoring and evaluation process. Could you maybe share with us a couple examples? Yeah, um, yeah, I have a couple that I've been working on um, since, probably since COVID hit, uh, there've been a couple that we've done. So the first one I think I want to share was, so Compassion decided to try its own version of unconditional cash transfers. Um, and this was in two ways. One was in form of the gifts we, we are giving to to the uh, beneficiaries who are giving to the beneficiaries, especially during the COVID time, but also in form of assistance, um, especially emergency assistance. And this was done, I think, so this was done across the world, um, across um, all our programs, but the evaluations we did were, I think, in Togo and uh, Kenya. Uh, of course, Kenya is, is popular for unconditional cash transfers for those who are familiar with them. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't miss the opportunity to do them there and see whether it's uh, relevant for us there. But I think um, in there, we embedded a lot of approaches and a lot of types of evidence. I think one was um, doing literature reviews to be able to understand uh, one, what has been done within the context um, and what, what are the relevant questions um, and what, what has been some of the impact that has happened when this has been done, when unconditional cash transfers have been done in these contexts? And, and I think that is helpful such that you're, one, either validating what has already been proven to work in those concepts or in those contexts, uh, but also, two, to help you understand such that you're not um, reinventing the wheel. Uh, so there was a lot of literature that we read, and I remember we worked on this with you. Uh, but also beyond that, we wanted to understand how literally the, transfer, the transfers are affecting our beneficiaries. Are they helpful or are they not? And we used a, um, a mixed methods approach where we combined. Um, so we had, we suddenly did um, structured questionnaires, uh, which we implemented through phone, phone interviews because at the time it was right in the middle of the pandemic and um, physical meetings were barely happening at the time. 
So we did phone interviews where we were interviewing people on, um, first of all, understanding the process. And I think we combined both process and also sort of um, impact. How, 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 how are they using them? Um, and also how, how beneficial of the um, transfers been to them. So we did uh, those phone interviews and we also conducted focus group interviews focus group discussions. Uh, so we combined both qual and quant um, methodologies as we are collecting this information. And I think for us, this helped uncover a lot of insights on one, how the, um, how the beneficiaries were using the cash transfers. And I think majority of them were using them for diverse things, but we saw that um, food, uh, food usage and food insecurity was one of the significant things coming out of that. And I think we also got to learn that maybe the amounts we are considering were not sufficient to make a difference. And I think that was a lot of good learning that uh, management in Kenya was able to use to um, continually improve their processes. First of all, we there were some, again, process inefficiencies in there that they've been able to address as they've continued uh, doing the cash transfers. So I think that's one of the evaluations where we've inter we integrated different types of evidence to be able to, um, to, get, to get that information, um, to, get, to get data or to get information that is useful for specific decisions. And then, um, so the other example I shared above is a baseline evaluation we've done for one of our programs that we're going to be running in um, Tanzania. And um, again, uh, for this program, we are specifically trying to implement a new program model where we are trying to, um, okay, the concept is to try to lift the whole village out of poverty um, through different interventions. And so um, we've done a baseline evaluation in there and the baseline evaluation had both qual and quant aspects. We did a household survey. We did focus group in, um, discussions with um, youth, women, and um, specific groups to understand uh, their different needs and their different challenges that they're facing. And also, um, we did key informant interviews with specific people, uh, village leaders, um, health practitioners, and um, key people within, within the communities to be able to understand um, the program opportunities there. And like I shared for this, the main aim is uh, for us, as we move into the design of the program is to be able to understand um, the needs of the community and the challenges they're being they're faced with. And then, and, and then once we have that information, as we are designing the program, um, be able to use that information to design a meaningful and a program that is going to be able to make a difference within those communities. Um, and then um, another example I can share is uh, around, um, so again, in COVID, I think one of the things we did pilot is um, 
um, another test where we're testing online learning for beneficiaries, um, especially the youth, um, such that uh, because one of the challenges I think we've had over the time is that as the kids grow older and maybe move to university, um, they have challenges continually attending some of our programs. So online learning made sense because we can still reach them in the places where they are. Um, and so we've, we've, again, for this one specifically, I think we only, we did um, what, we, what we called, um, we, we did, we did uh, an end of the process evaluation, end of end line evaluation. Um, and it's been only quantitative, but I think one of the things we've been able to learn, and, and there, there was a bit of randomization in there because some students uh, did, so it's, it's, it's quasi, uh, some students did online learning and some students did um, um, printed, they used, the, they used the printed curriculum. And so having, again, um, that type of evidence we've been able to compare the two methodologies and we are starting to see interesting results. We are right in the middle of analyzing uh, this data, but we are starting to see interesting results around both methodologies. And I think this is going to help us inform what is the most practical and applicable way um, um, of, of going ahead with this type of um, learning, whether is it online, is it, um, the physical or printed version. So I think those are the examples that come to mind right now. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, Alan. Those are great examples of, and I think really the importance of, well, there's kind of like two of the examples you gave were more on the, the piloting side, you know, like doing something that's new uh, for the organization and how much importance there is in understanding the context and spending the time to gather different types of data. The, the third example is really interesting around, you know, even having a sense of uh, control groups or comparison groups and people receiving different types of interventions and what, how might we compare those. And then the first example being an intervention that has an already established evidence base and how as part of that design of that evaluation, you know, was not reinventing the wheel, but looking at what have been the results, what have been the impacts and how can we build from that? How we, how we can even use that in the design of the evaluation. And so I find it really interesting just how important evidence becomes and different types of evidence becomes in all of these types of scenarios, uh, whether it's kind of a new and innovative approach or whether it's an established approach that has an evidence base already. So thanks so yeah. much. Thanks so much. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and I think, I think you're highlighting a key point here uh, that I think at the end of the day, knowing the different types of evidence is critical and important but you're not going to use, at one time, you will find that you will have to use um, all the different types of evidence in one evaluation, or you may use just one of them. So I think 
that's the benefit of understanding them and having them and also understanding the research question. Um, and that's why I really wanted to raise the research question uh, piece of it. Because once you understand the research question, then you can understand, um, you can be able to uh, discern whether you need multiple types or you just need one of them and then how you can use it for your evaluation. Yeah, that's right. And another important point you made earlier too is that time and, and resource constraints are important to process as well as part of that because maybe the question you ask and the evidence you want to use is not possible because of either budget constraints or you know you need something within one year when actually to look at true impact you would need five years and you know there's all kinds of ways in which what we might dream of doing is not necessarily what what happens or what's realistic so that's that's really important point to make as well. I appreciated that. Um, so this has been a really rich conversation, Alan. I, I appreciate it. It's uh, I think it brings a really helpful framework for listeners to think through. And I know that there's a lot more that could be discussed. But just to kind of close our conversation for today, and maybe we can always come back and talk more about some of the details of of these types of, of processes and methods. But just a, a quick lightning round, some fast questions for you. I'll, I'll be shooting these questions at you and you can go ahead and respond. Uh, kind of a fun way to end our conversation. So I'll go ahead and start with, what is your favorite book? Okay, so my favorite book has been Lean Impact by Anne Mei Chang. Maybe if I can just give one sentence. So I think the reason I love it is because it's talking about social innovation. And it's really uh, digging into not just the innovation piece itself, but also using evidence uh, to be able to, uh, or using M&E data to be able to check whether the ideas you're innovating socially are working or not. That's great. That's Lean Impact by Ann Mei Cheng. I'll have to check it out. Thanks for the recommendation. Uh, next question, favorite task for you to do in monitoring and evaluation? I think for me, it's always data collection. I love going to the field, I think, and also um, exploring. So exploring different um, places. I think also going to the field helps you as an evaluator um, to get anecdotal information about the community that you're understanding or studying. So that's why I love it. That's great. I, I love that too. Um, next question. Most important thing you've learned while working in ME or within these types of communities where you're working? Yeah, I think for me it's um, empathy, learning. Um, I think, again, like I've shared, my most, the, the favorite task is data collection. Always when I'm there, I think I get to see the sort of communities they are living in. And I think for me, understanding that um, helps me, especially as you're presenting results, because I think if you do not have that piece, or if you do not understand the vulnerabilities within the communities, then sometimes the results are confusing. I, I think I'll give an example to qualify this. 
um, from one of the, our recent evaluations, we learned that um, a lot of people are not going to the um, hospitals um, for, for medical, medical attention, which is a variable of interest because one of the things we want to do in the communities is, is health interventions. And the, the top most reasons were, one, they have the medicine at home, and two, it was, um, the, the, it's expensive. But um, I think also breaking down the issue of the medicine at home, we, having been in those communities, you get to understand that it's not necessarily because they have the right medicine. Sometimes this is herbal medicine. Sometimes this is um, uh, medicine they have just, they self-prescribe and they go to pick this information. So I think understanding those different, so you may end up thinking the communities are well off because of the reasons you're getting from the evaluation. But I think understanding their vulnerability and the different issues they face, you're able to add additional layers to the evidence you're getting. Wow, Alan, that's a really powerful example. And I think shows the importance of really being there and listening, whether, whether it's you or a team member, um, mm -hmm. just really being able to listen between the lines, uh, that it's the data you're, you're collecting, but also being able to really interpret it in a way that, that provides the meaning that is helpful for the community and for the organization. So that's, that's a really powerful example. Um, thanks for that. All right, next question. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? So um, I have two, uh, two of them. So it's been Prison Break and The, the Money Haste. Um, I think it's, it has, Money Haste has a Spanish title. I think it's La Casa de Papel. Um, <laughs> and uh, the reason I, now, I don't want people to get shocked while I'm giving this. But the reason I love these two shows is because um, they are the two shows that have kept me on my toes. I, I think for me, things I like in movies and series is being unable to predict the next move. And I think these two shows successfully did that to me. That's really fun. Thanks for sharing that, Alan. Uh, it's helpful to get to know people a little bit through these types of questions. So that's been fun. All right. So next question is most crazy food you've eaten while traveling or working and monitoring the evaluation. So I want to first of all confess that I didn't eat the food, but um, it's it's been the most the craziest food I've been offered. Uh, but I think because of culture, um, my culture, my my culture, I I wasn't able to eat it. But it's definitely been kui. Uh, and I think it's a, in English, it's probably called the edible rat. Um, so I've been offered that, I think all, almost all the times I've been in Latin America and I've failed to eat it because uh, it looks like a rat and, and my mind can't comprehend eating a rat. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one there. Alan. Um, okay, uh, last question for the lightning round is, what advice do you have out there for m and &E practitioners? I think for me, it's um, continuous improve growth and improvement and learning. Um, before I read Lean Impact in uh, December, there are lots of things in, in that book, for example, that I was learning, just learning about 
um, the lean, I think one of the things in there was the lean MD approaches and how you can collect fast data on some of these things that are not taking, um, so not the usual processes we're used to within MD or not the usual timeframes. And I think there's a lot of evidence also being generated and uh, innovation happening around M and E. I think I also I've also heard of people trying to do lean versions of impact evaluations. So I think there's a lot going on out there um, that I think we need to keep abreast with, uh, such that we do not get lost in um, what used to work, but we are abreast with what people are doing to help improve and make M and D more process, processes more rapid. Again, I think because of the rate at which we're experiencing change, the demands uh, to continuously um, generate evidence more rapidly are increasing. For me who works um, with the innovation team, that's almost on a daily basis. And so uh, being able to remain in the posture of a learner and looking out for what other people are doing, or even ourselves trying to come up with new approaches, I think um, is very beneficial um, to the community, to the MD community. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. That's excellent advice and very inspiring to, to continue that posture of continuous improvement. Thanks for joining us today and for this conversation. Uh, can you tell people where they can find you, maybe online or learn more to connect with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Alan Kakinda. Um, I also, like Rodney shared, I run a podcast which is on Spotify, the Do More Be More podcast. So you can connect there and um, um, yeah, you can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn. I am on uh, um, Twitter as well. I just joined Twitter and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Same names, Alan Kakinda. Thanks, Alan. I will include some of those links in the show notes. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening in. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and email us at ARA at accordnetwork.org or connect with us on LinkedIn to send us ideas of who we should talk to next or any other suggestions you have on what we'd like to discuss or learn more about on this podcast. So until next time, have a great day. Thank you.